0: I'm Imogen
1: Smith. I'm David Bank. And I'm Brian Walsh. From Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. Imogen and David, good to be back with both of you. It's been a minute since we recorded this podcast. David, as editor of Impact Alpha, you've been busy interviewing people for our special Beyond Tradeoff podcast series. How has that been? Oh, it's been fun. It's a
2: partnership with the Omidyar Network. You, you can binge listen to Beyond Trade Off's podcast. We've got uh, seven of them, and they range from uh, uh, Omar Sate at, at Prudential, and and, and Lisa Pritzker at Bluehaven, and and all across the board, the Ford Foundation, and they're you know good conversations with serious investors who are figuring out you know a, a way to go forward beyond this trade-offs debate about uh, returns and, and impact. So basically, the integrated strategies across the board, it's, it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I concur. uh, Well worth a listen, learn a lot from those conversations. Now, Imogen, as an investment fellow with the University of California, you've been traveling to various impact investing conferences this spring. What have you learned?
0: Um, I would say my top takeaway is certainly that, at least in Europe, impact investing and ESG are here to stay um, and are becoming more and more central to how... Asset owners, in particular, think about themselves, and they very much frame this up around a discussion over the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, so I would say that is on the positive side. On the negative side, um, I do think that there is more and more reason to be concerned about impact washing, and you know we we think about this in terms of oh you know is money manager X Y Z pure enough to really be an impact manager? And I think yeah that's a valid conversation, but I think. There's sort of a a deeper and more insidious type of impact washing that some of our sort of major institutions are taking partaking in where it really is used as sort of, you know, at best a panacea and at worst a fig leaf for bad behavior. And I worry that we as a community and as an industry are not doing enough to and don't have the resources in some senses to push back against that
1: wow well it's good to be back with you and let's make sure that this is an impact washing free zone here on this show on today's show political resistance meets social and environmental revival david you're our resident bright-eyed californian optimist but lately you've been pretty freaked out why
2: uh well brian i'm i'm just worried we're about to grasp defeat from the jaws of victory we're in this moment Uh, historical, you know, moment beyond just the politics. But in this historical moment, everybody's freaked out about rising populism and xenophobia and exclusionary fear-based politics. And my biggest worry is that we think we don't have the answer to that when in fact we do. And if we don't believe it ourselves, then we're not going to convince anybody else. So I'm freaked out that we've got a moment to seize here and we're somehow not seizing it. It drives me crazy.
1: Imogen, you are our resident uh, lovable curmudgeon, uh, do you share David's, uh, his, his? I would say his rare pessimism? <laughs> um,
0: you know, I think this, if this is what the jaws of victory look like to David, I hate to think what the jaws of defeat look like <laughs> to David. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I totally understand what David is getting at. And I think that, you know, I think the frustration in part is this rising up of sort of socialism, the unrest, the nationalism, a lot of the sort of, you know, the anxiety that you're seeing on, on both the far right and the far left are in response to exactly the issues that, you know, impact investing, um, the progressive left, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, think that they have answers to. And so, you know, and, and I think that the frustration is that the, the pathway to getting to execute on these answers keeps being demolished by all of this tension and all of these upheavals. And so I, I think that, and you know, again, we don't have an infinite t- amount of time to get this right. We know that, you know, global warming is happening as we speak. We know we have basically sort of 10 years to figure this out. And then in fact, it may already be too late. And so it's not like we can just sit around and wait for say the the current political zeitgeist to be over. We, we have to find ways to act now. And yet, you know, every single day that seems to be getting harder and harder. And again, the sort of the, the, the political uprisings just seem to be adding to the tension rather than finding a pathway forward.
1: So Imogen, who is the we in that in that statement? So can the capital markets account for the environmental crisis in time before it's too late, before the environmental catastrophe Uh, really uh, gets us to a point of no return. No. (laughs) No. The capital markets can't account for the environmental crisis in time.
0: David is very strict with me and tells me that I have to have definitive statements when you you (laughs) ask me questions. So I've been practicing.
1: (laughs) Okay, good. Well, David, can the capital markets account for the environmental crisis in time? Yes. (laughs)
0: But let me, let me, before, before you get to David, let me, I think they can only if there is true political, legislative and social momentum behind them.
2: Well, okay. Now we're in violent agreement, and 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 no becomes yes.
0: But let me let me finish my point the, because the fundamental problem, however, is is I as a participant, you know, I as an investment bank, still make an enormous amount of money off the fossil fuel industry. So I am not going to stop doing that. My my bankers who are fossil fuel bankers aren't going to stop working tomorrow. So so my natural momentum is going to keep me doing what it is I do, unless there are obstacles. Put in my way that are so powerful that they change that momentum. So even if I, you know, and this gets back to my point about greenwashing to a certain extent, even if I, as a bank, think climate change is real and I'm doing stuff to support the sustainable development goals and doing a bunch of wonderful stuff and I have all these pledges to green banking and blah blah blah, I'm still going to support what is a major section of our global economy, and that's not changing. And so, without, I say, without that losing momentum, it's hard to see how left to their own devices the capital markets will do anything else but what they've always done.
1: So, David, you have often spoken about uh, the startup economy of impact investing and the legacy economy, the legacy system of the traditional uh, mainstream asset management industry. And so you see that impact investing is this... Opportunity to kind of become the new system, the new operating system for global finance. Uh, But is there enough time for uh, impact investing to take over the legacy financial system?
2: Well, let me take it at a bigger, at a a higher level, and just say why it's going to happen. That, and in fact, everything Imogen said is exactly what I was. I'm going to say, except I'm going to flip the emphasis. And she says it's not going to happen unless, and I'm going to say it is going to happen because. And it is going to happen because that mobilization and that shift of capital is going to happen. And here's and here's why: because the reversal of the polarity is exactly as Imogen said. The moment, the inertial momentum is in one direction, and so it's going to take a reversal of that polarity so that the inertial direction goes in the other direction, and that is going to be driven as we've said, by, you know, the true environmental and social costs getting internalized in, in the books. And that movement is what we are now on. And we have to make sure it goes from the, I think the, I think, I think actually one of the interesting things about that Beyond Trade Off series is I think we're, we're at the 5%, 5 to maybe 10% level of where that ESG wave is, is at Imogen. Um, you just just writ large ESG wave. And I think if we get to you know 15 20% certainly 25 30% it doesn't have to be 50% but it's somewhere between where we are now and 50% there's that fabled tipping point and things change direction and the and and, and as they as the risks bite the climate reality bites all those things that there's as reality least, bites as reality bites there's at least a 15 to 20% part of the capital markets and once you flip the momentum then it then it, then it shifts very rapidly. So that's the it's it's a Hail mary pass I agree, but it's the only pass we got left. And um and and that's what I think we're on and that's why to get back to the resistance meets revival, I think we have to go as you know Donald Rumsfeld say with the army we got. And the army we got is the legions of innovative and sustainable and you know creative you know young engineers and young public health workers and young and young entrepreneurs of all sorts and um uh and they they you know you can see them around the world and you can see the energy and you can see the way you know startup type money is is flowing to these folks and so we have to radically Enable that part of the economy that is already there in small towns in America, in innovation hubs in Lagos, in Nairobi, in you know, in 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 slums in Mumbai that are that are getting services and and whatnot. And the point is, we have that. This is where I got to the point. We have the solutions. Solutions have been incubated all around the world, and we even had the high-level plan, the Sustainable Development Goals, and the climate plan. So we had it top down and bottom up, and capital flowing. And that was the ticket to this future that we should be laying out. Shared prosperity, in, you know, sustainable, green, regenerative. That's great politics. Why is that not the best political platform on the planet?
0: Do you want the answer to that question?
2: Yeah. No, actually, but, but go ahead.
0: <laughs> because entrenched powers would prefer that it not be and our politics isn't set up as a level playing field. And so what what see, and everyone thinks that you know something comes at the cost of something else. So what seems like a compelling message isn't, right? And that, that, that there are too many that there are, there are too many deep problems in our political moment right now that it's hard for the you know the rallying cry of climate change, which we've been talking about for 20 plus years, to rise above, it, and, and particularly in the United States, it has been so politicized that it doesn't resonate. And even in Europe, I mean, you know, there was the anti-climate change party is rising in Germany, which is shocking because Germany has been very pro the environment for like 30 plus years. So, so it, it is a broader political moment that has to do with very deep, very entrenched interests and this sort of fracturing of traditional alliances and beliefs and you know frankly a lack of leadership.
2: I just want to I want to honor I want to honor our, our agreement not to go into cable news. You,
0: you went there. You I know the I don't want to I want to honor
2: that and so I'm going to use a metaphor. I'm going to use a pop culture <laughs> metaphor which is my favorite scene in Lord of the Rings when um, the the the, the torchlights, the, the the bonfires go up on the peaks of the of the Alps. Um, and, and 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 signal from one peak to the next as uh, the, the, the uprising against Mordor and it's just beautiful so if you want to see where where my my, my poetic uh, mind goes in, in terms of what this is about that's that's the image
1: yeah but what if that image is instead showing the the nationalists uh, uprising from from one country to the next no that's more like <laughs> more I think more, I think more like I,
2: I think more like you know I don't know what I think pitchforks and uh, I don't know uh, militias, but, but, militias. I
1: and mean, well, I mean mentioned I spoke about Germany having the the rise in uh anti-climate uh movements and, and political movements and and, and you, we saw this in France with the yellow vest movement you know which was started essentially as a protest against uh a, a relatively modest rise in gasoline taxes right which is all part of uh moving towards Macron's uh climate uh policies and, and this uh, this pivot towards the Paris, uh, Paris agreements and and so all of these things come at a cost every every time that I, I think the yellow the yellow vest in particular are, are kind of a reaction to what was perceived as a kind of out of touch elite uh you know urban elite in, represented by macron uh kind of imposing uh his will on the countryside if you will and and i, I do worry that impact investing is uh very much framed in some circles as this uh, urban elite coastal elite uh cosmopolitan elite uh, uh forces coming together to say we know what's best and uh, we are gonna uh, invest and in we know the the right solutions to our challenges uh, that is uh, sometimes uh, perceived as being tone deaf to the uh, real challenges and real uh, 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 anxieties that I think that a lot of individuals I think uh, I mean and citizens uh,
0: face I think it is right I mean I think let's not kid ourselves right impact the impact investing movement came out of a place of wealth and and a lot of it still is driven by that you know there's the whole sort of what I like to call the rich kids of impact land right and this sort of playing at philanthropy and I think there is a level of discourse that is alienating and often to the, the very people that the the impact industry is trying to help that said i don't necessarily think that's reason to give up on impact investing right i I think there is a broader movement there and i think there are certainly people within the impact industry who who are very cognizant of that and very thoughtful and are are doing good and big things um and you know to, to continue on our retro politics you know, as as John McCain would say, it's you know, it's always darkest before it's completely black, right? I think that <laughs> you know, it.
2: <laughs> your guy, your 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 patron saint. I I see it for, with that exactly. kind of attitude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that I I do actually. At the at the end of the day, I do I do share David's you know desperate optimism. Um, if only because you have to, right? That there is innovation there, there is hope there. I think that that change will come. I think that we will be successful in pulling together and fighting the good fight, um, but that we are at a moment of sort of unprecedented disruption, unheaval and uncertainty um, that is that is hard to find a a pathway through, uh, and yeah, in, you know, sort of impact investing can't dislocate itself from that, even as it tries to. And part of that reason is because impact investing is, yeah, part of the 0.01, and that that is that is in its DNA, and that that is a problem for it.
2: In Impact Alpha, we we sort of separate out the two strands, which which you guys I think are talking about of impact investing, and one is this, you know, asset man- wealth management, asset management strategy question. Um which is you know, which is basically the, the 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 beat as it were. but the the broader mission is uh, a mobilization of capital, uh, you know, by virtue of tapping this these private capital markets. And so if you just take it at that broader mobilization of capital, level story, that's the shift we're talking about that will, you know, save the planet. It's not the narrow asset management strategy. Those are just means to an end to get the money, frankly, you know, flowing. And the more money, the more money flowing to these solutions and to this so-called revival, you know, the more it will be the dominant thing. It's not a matter, I, I, I tell you, it is not a matter of the intrinsic appeal of the message. It's a matter of the, we've been outsmarted and we've been forced onto the defensive, which frankly, Brian, your comment, reflects the defensiveness to which we've been forced and that we think we don't have the message. That's why I'm freaked out because even you don't think we have the message. So we, how are we, we going to tell folks that well, there I is think, a different David, just, way?
1: Yeah. Just, just, just to push back on that a bit and, and building off of Imogen's earlier point, you know, that uh, if you said that this is about the mobilization of private capital and I think Imogen's point is it's, it's the, those who already have wealth and have accumulated wealth now deploying it uh, in there more absolute- enlightened ways. There's
2: absolutely, absolutely a, a noblesse oblige quality to impact investing, which is, you know, the source of, of the pushback against it right now. But the, what we're trying to do is free more capital for this better future. And the more capital that flows, frankly, in just a good old fashioned follow the money kind of way, the more capital that flows, the more people are invested and the more initiatives are funded and the more stuff happens. And yes, there's going to be impact washing and whatnot, but we have to get much more into an abundance mentality about capital for this future, not not a short, not a shortage.
0: And but that gets my point right, which is the, the the capital available in the sort of high net worth foundation impact space is tiny relative to the capital needs. Um, the the capital that we need to see the change that we need and also you know the capital that's in the capital markets more broadly. But those asset that, owners um, that you're
2: those asset owners that yeah. you're talking to are the ones we're talking about. We're talking about Hiro Mizuno at GPIF in Japan or or you know Tamasek t- yeah, in Singapore. But, the, you know or the Norwegian sovereign wealth fund. There are big super tankers as we call them moving on the global scene.
0: Yeah. And what? But primarily what they do is they move through shareholder engagement, right? And this gets back to the question of. You know, are we really seeing the, the, the change that is necessary? You know, so something like it was striking to me um, the other day when Greenpeace discovered that BP had been lobbying the Trump administration to open, open up, opening up drilling in Alaska, right? And BP is one of the companies that has responded positively to shareholder engagement and looks like they're changing their strategy. So it makes you think, you know, God, is this really working when one company is sort of saying one thing and doing the complete opposite, and this goes back to the question of you know, are we going to get there in time? And st- stuff like that leads me to really be concerned that we're not.
2: You, see, you, you said we would not unless we had the popular mobilization, which is where we met, where we had meeting grounds. And I'm saying not to not to get again into cable news prognostication, but we have a moment here in this country. Um, to change direction. So that's, you know, that's what's freaking me out. If we grasp that defeat from the jaws of victory, that's kind of what I was uh, referencing earlier.
1: Well, no matter what happens, we'll be sure to cover it uh, on the digital pages of Impact Alpha and on this Returns on Investment podcast. Thank you so much, Imogen. Thank you. And thank you, David. Thanks to both of you. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha, providing news and insights for those working to build an inclusive and prosperous future. Find us at impactalpha.com and on Twitter at Impact Alpha. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in some sense of the word next time.